0: What makes a community? Is it a place on a map or a group of people who know they can depend on each other? At Michigan's Credit Unions, it's our job to look out for you in tough economic times like this. We're helping thousands of Michigan families with immediate support, like loan modifications and waived fees, and offering financial counseling to guide brighter futures. When it comes to helping our members and communities move forward, we make it personal. Click the banner to find a Michigan Credit Union.
2: peek behind the curtain at Oz. Uh, It is humid in Los Angeles, hence the curly frizzy hair. One, two, I am looking down at you, not down on you because I am on yet another device because somebody hacked into my email and my social media accounts. So my computer is at the computer doctor getting fixed. Uh, but we're still going to have a great show for you today. And we have a great guest who's a friend of mine personally, a friend of the program, and a friend of the American working class, specifically manufacturing. And that's Scott Paul, president of the Alliance for American Manufacturing. The AAM is a partnership established by some of America's leading manufacturers and the United Steel Workers Union. And for over a decade, well over a decade, Scott, and the AAM have worked to make American manufacturing a top of mind issue for voters and our national leaders through effective advocacy, innovative research, and a savvy PR strategy. And you know it's working because you're hearing about manufacturing, you see manufacturing numbers go up, and you certainly see uh, those manufacturers, the working class uh, are huge when it comes to elections, whether you look at what happened in 2016 or who people are really targeting uh, and talking to, Uh, coming up for uh, this November, those working in the field and those of us who benefit from those who work in the field and a lot of Buy American, Buy Products Made in America campaigns out there like AAMs. Uh, More than a pleasure to have back on the program on this Tuesday, right after our long Labor Day weekend, Scott Paul. Hey, Scott, good afternoon. Thank you for joining us and thank you for being with us. Appreciate it.
3: Hey, Leslie, it's always a pleasure. Happy Labor Day week to you. And I just want to say those hackers don't know who they messed with. Um, they should have picked another target.
2: <laughs> Actually, yes and no. Because when they messed with me at first, it was like, "Why are all the letters disappearing on the page?" You know. Um, the second thing is, I guess I just don't get what hackers get on. It. Look, I get hacking into a bank. I get hacking into the IRS. I get hacking into a foreign government's, you know, uh, military software defense program. But my, like, you know, Twitter page and LinkedIn and Facebook, I mean, sorry. And I, I mean, we hope it's exciting and interesting, but definitely not a matter for national security. But uh, thank you. Thank you, Scott. Because of Marky Mark and uh, Geek Squad, uh, it, it'll be it'll be all fixed by the end of the week. And that's yes. another thing. If anything, it's just more of an inconvenience. And maybe that's what hackers uh, get out of it. Um, but you know what? Uh, a, lo- a lot of people are hacking facts. And the president is hacking facts. And, and one of the facts is that he really makes it sound good when it comes to um, workers, when it comes to, oh, unemployment is, is going down, uh, when it comes to manufacturing is going up. But the reality is, although manufacturing gained 29,000 jobs just last month in August, according to data released by the Bureau of Labor Statistics last week, the um, and although the sector has seen hiring over the past few months, um, you would say you have an AAM statement, it still faces a long road to recovery from the administration's response to the pandemic because there are 720,000, not workers, specifically, specifically factory workers um, who are still out of work. So is it, this is good news, this is prematurely good news? Or it's a start and we've got a long way to go or something entirely different with regard to what the president this administration this labor stats report shows. hey Leslie, it's a good question and I
3: we, we have a long way to go and I think the problem is that the administration seems to think that everything is solved right I mean they' they're like the economy is back on track the pandemic is largely under control um, you know both of which just if you look at the facts, not the case and for manufacturing i think it's a lot of wishful thinking as well and we have you know obviously there were there was a lot of job loss at the beginning of the pandemic and it was economy wide and professions that were severely impacted you know travel travel and leisure and hospitality and Retail and things that required a, a human touch, uh, but also you know manufacturing and others, and I, I you know and so the pandemic will ultimately affect all of these industries in different ways. Um, but here's the facts, and, and I think this is the thing that's disturbing to me. So yeah, we're still, as you indicated, three quarters of a million manufacturing workers who lost their jobs at the beginning of the pandemic still don't have them, and many of those layoffs look like they are becoming permanent. That it's not a temporary thing. And sure, getting back 29,000 manufacturing jobs, that's obviously good. It's better than nothing. But at that pace, it's going to take years to try to, 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 to catch up. And that, that's time we don't have. Those are bills that need to be paid by those workers that they don't have the ability to do that. And and just the last thing, Leslie, is that you know we, we stand alone in our futility with respect to kind of the unemployment rate, um, in manufacturing and economy wide as well, in Mexico and South Korea and Japan, again, all countries that were exposed to the coronavirus, you know, the unemployment rate is like a little above five percent or four percent or three percent in any of those countries, and the United States is still incredibly elevated, incredibly elevated, um, and you know, there's a kind of a equity stock market bubble that's helping to move things along right. um, but other than that we have, we have a long way to go and i i guess i get sick of the cheerleading and the the, the wishful thinking and i'm like well where are the measures that're going to be truly helpful to workers as workers and businesses in this country both in terms of like getting the pandemic under control that's right. number one that would be the most helpful yeah but then beyond that where do the other kind of recovery and the stimulus measures measures. And, you know, they're, they're just not there. They're, they're not there.
2: Uh, the AAM, Alliance for American Manufacturing, um, it, through you as their president, you stated, quote, on Thursday, the Commerce Department reported the highest monthly U.S. trade deficit, 63.6% billion in 12 years. Today, the jobs numbers show we still have a long way to go toward a true recovery in manufacturing, even though the administration would have you feel differently, right? Since the start of the pandemic, factories have shed 720,000 workers who have yet to be hired back. Many of these layoffs now seem permanent, but even at the current rate of job growth, it would take more than two years, to your point, to be simply treading water again. That's not good enough. Our factory workers deserve more than platitudes from the president and his weak phase one trade deal with China. We need a comprehensive agreement with Beijing. And we need to invest in our infrastructure workers and innovation here at home. Two issues with this. Um, you you have the president who was behind by a few points in Texas, uh, yeah. now is maybe two points up, still within the margin of error. Texas, uh, a dead heat in Florida as of polls this morning. We know polls go up and down. We know from 2016, not always reliable, um, especially the state polls versus the national polls in 2016. But it is a different election and a different time. But prior to the last election, Donald Trump, then candidate, made some really big promises and talked tough on China. One hasn't delivered, could talk tough again and try and do something to deliver, especially in light of COVID, and especially because he calls it, even though it isn't, the China virus. And in addition to that, uh, infrastructure, because this is an area where you could get bipartisan agreement. I just can't wrap my head around as a politician why the president and Republicans when they're they're not looking at being able to take back the house easily. they are looking at possibly losing the Senate and it's pretty 50/50 as to whether they can keep the White House. why aren't they looking at these these issues that matter to Americans that affect the American economy, affect the American worker and the American workers economy, you know their bread and butter literally um, and it could be a, t- a total win. Uh, for them politically. And they could even have some bipartisan support and get Democrats to come aboard, especially with infrastructure. Why why is this? Why are we hearing about Nancy Pelosi's hair? Why, Why not this?
3: Well, obviously, some people are trying to distract and they know that voters will choose their own news. But at the same time, as you point out, the facts don't lie. And um, and they're, they're not they're not pretty, they're not building a, a big case uh, for for the administration's success in any of these realms. I mean, I think that I mean, what one of the challenges is that, you know, the, the Senate Republicans barely function on their own. They can barely get a majority. And Mitch McConnell's going to try it this week with a with a with a, a, a very small uh, and inadequate covid response bill. But there's just a lot of dysfunction. And I think the other challenge is that, you know the the idea that we have to go big and that we have to uh, have a investment to stimulate a recovery doesn't fit into the Trump narrative that things are going great, right? And, and that things are opening up. So, um so I think you know, there you have it, like functional, wishful thinking on the part of the administration that doesn't fit in with their narrative that helped to explain why they haven't done this. Now, I'll, I'd love to get into a little bit, like what are the longer term things why hadn't Trump delivered on manufacturing that and thought. trade? Because that that's thought. a
2: bigger issue. Hold that thought, because yeah. I want to get into that.
1: If you miss Leslie on TV this week, catch up at lesliemarshallshow.com.
2: And we're back. I'm Leslie Marshall, president of the AAM. Uh, Scott, thank you for holding. Welcome back. Uh, before the break, I'm sorry I had to interrupt you You're up against a, a hard break. Please continue uh, with what you were saying, because, um, we, you know, we were talking about uh, China. We were talking about infrastructure. We were talking about a political win that the president and Republicans uh seem to be ignoring because even though manufacturing activity grew in August, uh, there are over seven hundred thousand factory workers who are still out of work. And like you yeah. said, some of those people may never return to work. They may never have jobs or those jobs uh, to return to.
3: Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so we talked a little bit about the short-term challenges of like dysfunctional politics. Um, you know, among the Senate Republicans. And uh, wishful thinking on the part of the White House, you know, longer term and leading into that, because you you pointed out some of the promises that the president made, you know, to I still remember him four years ago, Leslie, talking on the campaign trail about the forgotten men and women and uh, tackling China and bringing manufacturing back. And I also remember in February when the Commerce Secretary and others were saying this pandemic is going to be good for the United States. We're going to bring a whole bunch of manufacturing work back here. Um all right. So if you don't have a plan and you don't execute it well, none of that's going to happen. And that—that's kind of what we have here. And so in July, we had a monthly trade deficit of sixty-three billion dollars. That's the largest trade deficit we've had for a dozen years. We didn't have a trade deficit that high in any single month of the Obama administration, who Trump claims was a failure on these issues. So. You know, that that's that's not a great record to stand on. And, you know, the the work that Trump has tried to do around China has been very limited. Like I look, I supported the effort when he put tariffs on Chinese products. I was like, we need to gain some leverage. But what you do with that leverage is very important. And unfortunately, the, the Trump administration, the president himself, they squandered it. They, they got a half-baked deal with China um, to, to buy some more cash crops, basically, and otherwise kind of let them off the hook. Um, and so it's not going to fundamentally change our trade relationship. And he can go, he can call Joe Biden all sorts of names, he can call China all sorts of names. None of this has fundamentally changed the equation between our two nations, which is really imbalanced. And on the one side, you have the Chinese government. And unfortunately, you have U.S. multinational companies who don't mind exploiting the environment or workers. On the other side, you have working people in America and small businesses who don't feel like anybody has their back um, and who are still, unfortunately, losing a lot of jobs overseas. And so all of this rhetoric, all of this talk, Leslie, that that Trump has, has done over the last four years about trade and manufacturing, at the end of it, we have seen very little in terms of results. In fact, we've seen some we've seen some bad things. We've seen some mediocre things, but we've seen a lot of foreign, uh, forward progress. And so Trump likes to lash out, obviously, when things aren't going his way. But but the truth is that our trade deficit is as bad as it's ever have been. We've we've lost manufacturing jobs over the course of his term, um, and he's pretending like there's not a challenge with our economy that we really have to work through here. Um, and, and so we're, we're not dealing with a, a, a good set of facts and common information moving forward. And so it's not surprising to me that it's hard to coalesce about a real plan that would help bring some jobs back, reshore some work, uh, tackle the, the, the
2: China challenge, uh, and, and work our way through all of this. Two things, you had said earlier, you're tired of all the cheerleading, and I hear you because factory jobs contracted for 13 straight months. So two things. One, that's obviously nothing to cheer about. Two, this isn't something that's happened overnight. This is something that has continued to happen week by week, day by day, month by month for over a year. Um, You know, you just talked a lot about this and, and how this, you know, relates, but but why and, and how do we turn that around, especially in a time of COVID? Because one of the things lacking from this administration is a plan going forward yeah. Um. in addition to all this cheerleading and leaving out information and facts such as the contraction for 13 months of these factory jobs.
3: Yeah, yeah, the, yeah. they've been going down for, for a, a while. Um, and there had been a little bit of a burst, particularly when there was a tax cut for companies that stimulated some activity. But it wasn't sustainable, and fundamentally, the, the the trade situation with China hasn't changed all that much despite the tariffs. I mean, the trade deficit with China was shrinking; that is true, but it was growing with other countries like Mexico and Vietnam. So when you net it out, there was real no fundamental difference at all in in our in our trade picture. Um, but but what it will take, it's not rocket science here, and you see that it can be done because other countries are doing it quite successfully. And it consists of the following. Number one, you do have to invest in your workers in your infrastructure and innovation. You have to make real investments, simply giving tax cuts to corporations and expecting them to do the right thing. (laughs) It doesn't work. It doesn't work. And so we stand alone kind of in our futility there. So that's, I think that's number one. Um, Number two, we really do have to be serious about trade. And if you're gonna impose tariffs, you need to get something out of that because it is true that tariffs can cause a little bit of pain here, either through for consumers or through retaliation. So you gotta get something for that. And Trump was so eager to sign his name to a deal that you know the, the, the Chinese government waited him out and he ended up signing kind of a half-baked deal that's that's never gonna come to fruition. And I would say the last thing, and I think this is the most important thing, is that you do have to realize the importance of manufacturing and industry to your economy and to have something like an industrial policy. And so, for instance, Germany does that, Korea does that, Japan does that, China does that in a terrible way um, that, that that impacts us, but but we don't do that. And And for some reason, our philosophy with farmers is like, yeah, we need to guarantee payments to them. Or to the oil and gas industry, yeah, we got to guarantee payments to them or to Wall Street, sure, whatever you want. But when it comes to manufacturing or manufacturing workers, it's like, oh, you're on your own. Let's let philosophy and the markets decide and you on get out there and, and, and do a good job and we're going to be rooting for you. Well, you actually have to op- have a policy and, and you have to have their back. And the other thing is that you have to keep them on the job. And so if you're able to keep manufacturing workers on the job, even at a lower salary temporarily or, or not you know, doing other sorts of maintenance jobs, it's much better than laying everybody off and then trying to gather everybody back. That's, that's how you lose market share. That's how you lose jobs in the long run. It hasn't worked. Um, I, I don't know if this president is capable of getting that. Yeah, I'm, I'm not so sure that, that he is, but we, we definitely need a, a fresh approach here.
2: We're going to take a quick break, and we'll be back with Scott Paul, president of the AAM. You know, August uh, had a report that showed uh, we had the highest manufacturing activity since 2019. Manufacturing has grown for a third consecutive month with consumer demand expanding. We'll talk about consumer demand, and you've heard why Scott says, and I agree, you don't want to break out the champagne yet. That may be good news, but although manufacturing activity has increased faster than expected, reports show that. The unemployment remained in contraction in manufacturing for the 13th straight month. That is not good news. And over 700,000 people potentially not being able to return to work, certainly not good news. I'm Leslie Marshall, back with Scott Paul, back with you right after this short break. Don't go away.
1: Follow Leslie on Twitter. Just go to www.twitter.com slash Leslie Marshall, and we'll be sure to share your tweets.
2: Marshall. He is Scott Hall, and he's president of the AAM, Alliance for American Manufacturing. Scott, thank you for holding welcome back. we got a lot to talk about, and I want to get to it. Uh, so let, let's talk about some promises. We talked about uh, the president. We talked about the right. Let's go to the left with Joe Biden, former vice president in the last night of the historic virtual convention, the Democratic National Convention, uh, was jam-packed, a former presidential Uh, possibles, one-time opponents, and at the end, a very optimistic speech from Joe Biden uh, when he formally accepted the Democratic nomination, offering his vision for America's path forward, a focus on fortifying a path to the middle class through union jobs. And one of the clear objectives of the night was to emphasize Biden's working-class origins and his understanding of the value of that work, the dignity of that work, emotionally bolstering his economic policies And that does include, speaking of infrastructure, a two trillion dollar New Deal style infrastructure uh, plan. Uh, By the way, ahead of that formal speech, um, he spoke with union workers from various industries and within public service, including uh, GM uh, Gerald Lang and international brothers of electrical workers, journeyman, wireman uh, Rob Bayer. Uh, And uh, that theme uh, for the closing night was America's promise. Joe Biden offered a message of optimism for the workers. Like the plan, good enough doesn't go far enough, and how does it resonate with workers, especially those who are in the field of manufacturing?
3: Yeah, Leslie, it's it's a good question, and so you know, plans are plans. It's important what presidents actually do once they take office, and we've just spent some time talking about what Trump said versus what he's done. Uh, but but on service, I will say it surpassed my expectations. Um, of of a manufacturing and economic plan, and it has a couple of key ingredients. First of all, there's real investment. You know, there's like two trillion dollars um, in new investment for manufacturing and clean energy and infrastructure and innovation. And so that that amount of money is obviously mind-boggling. I can't even imagine it, but. That is enough to shift paradigms. I mean, that's enough right. to really not only get America back to work, but also to develop kind of new supply chains in the United States. so that that so ingredient number one is is there's there's massive new investment that's targeted in the right places. Ingredient number two is is that Biden has said that this will be made in America. He, he said he said that we will not outsource this. We will buy American steel. Uh, we'll buy other American products, and that's how we're going to do this. Um, and it is so, – so I think that's important because that does mean that that sends a signal to both businesses and workers that there will be a market here and that not all of this is going to be outsourced. You know, China may say, hey, we can build that bridge for you. We can do it at half the price and twice as fast. Um, and uh, you can believe them you may not want to believe them, but either way, uh, what what you will know is that American workers, American steel, American businesses are going to be used to be- rebuild our country. And with our unemployment rate so high and all that, something we really need, something we really need. And, and then I think the, the, the third aspect of this that, that I think is also important is that it's very worker centered. I mean, it, it's the, the plan is centered on around lifting workers up and not counting on big businesses to share the wealth. Um, Because we've tried that. It hadn't worked really well, they didn't share the wealth. They shared the wealth with their friends, um, which is why the stock market is booming. But they they didn't share it broadly, which is why we still have a lot of these challenges. And so I do think that uh, what Biden has put forward is a uh, is a really good start now now the key here, Leslie, the absolute key is that you know you have to make sure that all of this happens and that the special interests don't get in and start eroding this away or eroding that away yeah. um, And I so I think that's the key thing but I, I will I would just say that you know I, I read all of the plans, I listen to all of the words. Um, I, I certainly do like what Biden has put down. Uh, and and what he's been saying about uh, manufacturing moving ahead.
2: Yeah, I mean, you know, he, he talked about winning it for the workers who keep this country going, not just the privileged few at the top. Uh, he talked about that's why his economic plan is all about jobs, dignity, respect, and community. Uh, and together we can and we will rebuild our economy. And when we do, we'll not only build it back, we'll build it back better. Words are great. Promises are great. But- Let's talk about some actions. In 2016, in action by Hillary Clinton to visit, uh, with no COVID, uh, Wisconsin and other Rust Belt states where there are so many factories and there are, there is such a huge population of that middle working class voter. Um, is, is Joe Biden right to visit places like Kenosha, Wisconsin? And does Joe Biden need to visit these places, even with COVID, with social distancing, uh, with a mask, so that the, the the workers know that he's serious. Because I mean, look, most most workers, whether they voted for Donald Trump or not, and regardless of who they're going to vote for in November, I think most of the working class identify more with Joe Biden and consider more Joe Biden more a part of the working class, even though he really isn't, because he grew up in Scranton, because of his background, and and because of his experience with. Uh, unions and with, uh, you know, the, the the working class, you know, for decades, uh, a very different relationship than our president Donald Trump has had and continues in a sense to have. But it is that working class. Really, it was the worker, the middle class worker that put Donald Trump o- over the finish line and into the White House. Um, how, how in a sense, do you think Joe Biden can avoid uh, a deja vu repeat moment of 2016 um, and, and learn from the mistakes of Hillary Clinton and the Democratic Party back then?
3: Yeah, well, I, I Leslie you put it out I think the first successful ingredient which is showing up uh and and being there and and listening. Um and uh and so it, it's obviously all about choices and where you can go and who can you spend your time with, but I think taking blue blue collar workers for granted you know is is obviously a mistake or even you know black voters you know where you know turnout was not as high in 2016 as it was in 2012 in, in states like in states like Wisconsin, and I just I know this. I, I will say anecdotally, you know, I spent a lot of time in Kenosha, Wisconsin, and, and that part of the country back in the back in the '90s uh, in politics, and then I went back uh, to see how things were going in, in 2018, and spent a lot of time in Kenosha just talking to people, and you know, they're, they're, people said. She wasn't around. She didn't show up. And we've lost a lot of jobs. We've lost a lot of manufacturing jobs. And if somebody
2: somebody isn't around and doesn't show up, what do they they say? I mean, what does it mean? You don't care, right? I have a a friend, seriously, that um, once a month, he was a realtor. And I love to look at houses, you know, watch HDTV or whatever. And, you know, I had, you know, uh, two babies and got to coordinate with a sitter and all this. And I would five or 10 minutes late all the time. He's my friend, right? And and I said, I'm so, so sorry, Bob. And, uh, you know, and, and he would take me by the caravan so I could go look at houses. And then we go to lunch and then go look at houses. It was like a break once a month. My It's like a spa day, but it was different. And he said to me, um, and, and I said, but, you know, you know, it, it, it's not personal. And he said, well, no, really it is because it means that you had something more important to do than be on time for me. I was never late again. I was never mm-hmm. late again because he was right. No, he was right. Showing up and showing up on time in that situation. But showing up is is huge. I, I I agree with you. And I understand that if I were a working class voter in Wisconsin and she didn't come, to your point, you can't tell me you care about me if you if you can't get on a plane and show up. Look, it's harder now with COVID, but still, no excuses. You you gotta yeah. do it.
3: Right. right. Sh- showing up and then speaking to those issues as well, because I, I, I do feel like also that blue collar workers felt like, rightly or wrongly, but they, they felt like that Democrats weren't speaking to those issues. And so I, I know, you know, the 2018 elections, the midterms, those were kitchen table issues the Democrats ran on. I think Joe Biden is trying to run on kitchen table issues and not get distracted. By that, and I think all of that is is going to be critically important. Okay, we don't endorse candidates. we don't do any of this. I'm just offering analysis here. But you know taking blue collar workers for granted um, is is a huge political mistake. and hopefully candidates will learn from the past.
2: Absolutely. We're going to take a break. Remember, Biden's proposed manufacturing policy would dedicate $400 billion to a Buy America procurement program, $300 billion to next generation industrial technology, research and development, if he can put those words into action, if he becomes president and uh, and gets the support of uh, the House and the Senate to do that. That would be huge in, in many ways uh, for the working class. We'll take a break. We'll be right back. I'm Leslie Marshall. He's Scott Paul. Lots more to talk about right after this. Don't go away.
1: Life, Liberty, and the Pursuit of Truth. The Leslie Marshall Show. If you miss Leslie on TV this week, catch up at lesliemarshallshow.com. We
2: are back, President Trump. Manufacturing, the AAM, their website is AmericanManufacturing.org. Follow on Twitter, the AAM, at Keep It Made in USA, at, and also Scott, our guest and the president, at Scott Paul AAM, on Instagram, at American Manufacturing, and on Facebook, Facebook.com forward slash American Manufacturing. Uh, Scott, thank you for holding. Welcome back. So much to talk about. Uh, before we get to uh, another issue we added uh, that we are going to talk about today, the um, there there was uh, both from left and right, especially from the right, a criticism that Democrats didn't talk enough about jobs and about the working class. And some people were rather surprised that was the case after 2016 and what we talked about before the break. Um, do, you, do you feel that with all of these speeches, uh, night three, the big one, uh, vice presidential candidate Kamala Harris, uh, former nominee from uh, 2016 for the DNC, Hillary Clinton, even former president uh, Barack Obama. Uh, they talked about job creation. Uh, it's a critical topic for Americans right now. Uh, manufacturing, some would say, got a couple of nods. Um, and uh, Joe Biden did talk in the uh, fourth night about the build better ba- build back better uh, plan. Uh, and um, Senator Warren uh, talked to, from a child care center that was closed for months. But some people felt that there were more of those working class individuals, in those very relatable and very well done on both the left and the right for Democrats and Republicans, uh, you know, video stories, if you will. Um, Do you feel that Democrats lost an opportunity and should have talked more about jobs and more about manufacturing and that Republicans kind of stole the thunder in a sense at their convention addressing the issues uh, of the working class jobs and manufacturing?
3: Yeah, that's a a good question. And Again, I think it probably depends a lot on what you're looking for and, uh, you know, who, who you're predisposed to support uh, on, on how all that plays out. I, I do think that um, the, the, the Democratic Convention um, did have a focus, it wasn't a singular focus, but did have a focus on kitchen table issues and kitchen table issues like uh, jobs, health care, child care et cetera, and just keeping in mind that the pandemic is like a big wrap around all of this that's impossible to ignore, um, and, and, and social and racial justice as well. You know, what I, saw, what I saw the Republicans try to do is to put the president's record in the best light and to refer back to a lot of his rhetoric on this and to draw selectively from the facts and you know a lot of his surrogates were talking about the factories that were reopening and the new jobs that were created and some of that was true if you would have just hit a pause button about 18 months ago <laughs> <laughs> but you can't do that you, you know you got to click play the whole way through and and once you do the, the story isn't as good for, for, the, for them and so I, I do think so first of all I think these will continue to be issues that both candidates talk about in part of because of where this presidential race is going to be fought. Other other states like that that have deep and strong manufacturing bases and ties to manufacturing. Um, And I also think that, you know, we've we've done lots of polling on this. Other organizations have. I'm sure the presidential candidates do this all the time is that these are a lot of issues that voters want to hear about. Not only do they want to hear about them, they want candidates to be doing something about them. And so I imagine that we'll continue to hear about that as well as kind of who's tougher on China Um, is always going to be a subtext to this as well. And, you know, Trump will claim that Biden has been weak on China and that the Chinese want Biden to be the president and and not Trump. And then Biden will say that Trump, you know, had his opportunity on China and he blew it Um, and that he's put us in a worse position Uh, And that he did that early in the pandemic uh, and and that Biden's going to have a more strategic approach to China that's going to actually produce results. And so, um, you know, I first of all, so I'm glad that there is some attention to these issues. Um, Of course, as a manufacturing advocate, I always want more. But I also understand that there are a lot of other issues going out there as well. And that one of the things I think artfully that the candidates can do is to try to wrap these things together and to say, for example, that while you know police brutality and systemic injustice are the proximate causes of a lot of the challenges in black communities around the nation, uh, economic injustice and deindustrialization uh, contributed a backdrop to mm-hmm. that. Absolutely. And if you, you know, Kenosha, for instance, lost its big auto factory at the end of the 1980s. And there has been a slow and steady decline since then from what were once tens of, not thousands, but tens of thousands of good, diverse, union, well-paying jobs disappeared, yeah. completely disappeared. And what came in their place were a fraction of that. And and that obviously leads to a sense of of injustice and that the system isn't working as well. And so my hope is that we'll continue to see attention to this. And Leslie, not only attention, but eventually some meaningful action This that's going to be helpful to distressed communities and to manufacturing in this country.
2: You know, we were talking about the conventions. Just one more question. Uh, On the final night of the Republican National Convention, the president lambasted. Uh, Joe Biden, the Democratic uh, presidential uh, candidate, on a whole lot of things. And two things uh, to what you, uh, you know, have uh, expertise in are his uh, record on trade and his stance on China. This is what Trump said, quote, Joe Biden is not the savior of America's soul. Um, He is the destroyer of American jobs. Um, very harsh words. Obviously made the decision to go after Biden. Not much of a surprise to go after Biden on trade. And the two campaigns have been going after each other on trade and in particular uh, China for months now. But we like facts. I know the AAM likes facts. You as president like about the facts. Um, th- that, that with regard to these issues, are Trump's attacks of Biden valid? Hmm. Yeah, well,
3: yeah, it, it's a, you know, Biden voted for some trade agreements um, uh, a long time ago that didn't work out, all right? He wasn't the only one who did that. I mean, the vast majority of, of people do that. The, to me, wisdom is learning from your mistakes and evolving, and if you look at what Biden wants to do about China today... Uh, it is vastly different from w- what he may have said or done 20 years ago, in part from that experience. Now, look, I'll always give Trump credit for raising some of these issues, but it's it's what you do with them once you're in office that really matters. And the right. fact is, we have a larger monthly trade deficit now than we ever did in the, uh, ba- the Obama-Biden administration. Uh, we have fewer manufacturing jobs today than when Trump— Took office, um, Obama and Biden saved General Motors, saved an entire company. Meanwhile, General Motors moved a factory out of Ohio under Trump's watch, despite the fact that he that he said that he wouldn't allow it. So, you know, it's a uh, you know there there's not a there, there's not a perfect record on on this, but I I do think it's important to look at the actions, the words, and the plans as into that oh. voting booth or voting by, you know, voting by mail. And, right. and, um, and, and it's and not as not really as going.
2: simple as what the president makes it out to do. No, absolutely. To your point, uh, the president took a shot at Goodyear Tire and Rubber Company. Uh, he yeah. said, uh, you know, uh, a go- uh, because he said uh, Goodyear doesn't allow workplace expressions in support of political campaigning for any candidate political party. And that includes Trump's trademark red hats. Uh, Trump apparently got word about this, used his favorite social media account to call for a boycott of that company, another Ohio based company, this Mm -hmm. one in Akron. Uh, And Trump may have had some fun in the ongoing cancel culture war. Some argued the tweet may not have been the best decision politically, given the Goodyear plant in question is located in Ohio, which is a key swing state. It also employs around 62,000 working class voters nationwide. Uh, The president of the USW, Tom Conway, whose union represents many of those Goodyear workers, pointed out that Goodyear closed uh, a 90-year-old plant in Alabama because of unfair trade imports. And the USW reached out directly to the president and his White House staff on countless occasions, didn't receive any help. Uh, And uh, he said it would have been nice if the president would have paid as much attention to that loss of American jobs as he does to the MAGA hats. Maybe a tweet or two back then uh, would have been helpful. Any comment on that?
3: Yeah. Uh, He should ditch the symbolism and put in the hard work that it actually changes, that that it takes to create and preserve manufacturing jobs here. And he'd rather try to score a political point. Um, I mean, I've been to some of those Goodyear uh, tire communities. I know how important those jobs are. And for a president to suggest a boycott of American company because of some unverified tweet that he did, that just shows you, uh, I think, the, the challenge we have, right. Leslie. I'll just, I'll just leave it at that. Yeah. Okay.
2: I want to do this very quickly if I can. Disney's Mulan. There's a, a whole boycott yeah. go, uh, going on. Uh, and, uh, and, and they filmed some of those in uh, uh, Xinjiang, uh, where yeah. the Chinese government is uh, a camp, is engaged in a campaign of cultural and demographic genocide against indigenous minorities. Um, and this, there's so much with this. I mean, some yeah. people are angry about uh, the lead actress and her support of Hong Kong protesters. I'd love you to speak to this because China definitely is something we talk about a lot and this does tie in.
3: Yeah, Hollywood self-centers, self-censors. Disney has a theme park in Shanghai. Disney got extraordinary access to this region of China where there is this ethnic Muslim minority, the, the Uyghur people. And, and Chinese it's been verified that, that China is interning. I, I mean it is terrifying. And and Disney thanked the authorities in in, in for giving them this access. These are the same authorities that are interning the Uyghurs. And Disney didn't bother to tell anybody about this. So you you paid your 30 bucks or you bought your tickets, I guess, and then it's like, oh. They did this horrible thing. This is like they, they didn't even bother to tell anybody. Didn't think this would be an issue. So, uh, I mean, this is a Hollywood self-centers to gain access to the Chinese market um, at the at the expense of human and democratic rights. Um, and it's it's kind of shameful. It, it's 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 incredibly frustrating, but it's indicative of the kind of corporate corporate culture we have, and also how the Chinese government has very successfully co-opted a lot of multinational companies to be against the very ideas of democracy, freedom, and dissent.
2: You you, you know know what? Um, It's absolutely... uh, It's terrible because we have so much power as consumers, and we need to be more educated as consumers because I I do think, you know, especially when you have now Asian-Americans who feel very uh, discriminated against uh, with China virus being used by the president. And they want to have a hero. They want to have a a female hero. They want to have an Asian hero. Uh, But then these are realities that can't be ignored as consumers. Um, Scott, thank you so much for being with us. I could talk to, I can't believe the hour already flew by. Uh, Thank you so much. And we love having you with us. I hope you and your family are safe. I enjoy all of your posts as a friend. A website, AmericanManufacturing.org. Please check it out. There's a lot of valuable information there. The thing I like, too, is that they will help you keep it made in the USA as a consumer with a lot of options for American-made goods. On Twitter, speaking of, follow them at KeepItMadeInUSA. Follow Scott at Scott Paul, AAM, Instagram at AmericanManufacturing. And Facebook, Facebook.com forward slash AmericanManufacturing. I'm Leslie Marshall. Have a great afternoon and evening. And thank you again, Scott, for being with us. Love you. Thank you, Leslie.
3: All the best
0: to you. We're there for the small, the family owned, the storefronts that define our main streets and the entrepreneurs who support our cities and towns. At Michigan's Credit Unions, local business is our business. We're close enough to know your name and built to help you with your individual financial needs. Sometimes even the pillars of our communities need a little support. If you've been turned away by other lenders, we'll work to get your company back to business. Click the banner to find a Michigan credit union. Here's some things we're against. Hidden fees, penalty charges, and higher rates that drain your household budget. At Michigan's credit unions, what we do can sometimes be best defined by what we don't do. It's how we offer lower rates on auto loans, lower mortgage closing costs, and a nationwide network of fee-free ATMs. To make every dollar you earn go further, go to a place that values you more. Click the banner to find a Michigan credit union.